Welcome to the Space Cave, a big warg to all of you. And a couple orders of um, information before we get into the the bulk of the chat. Um, the show's now on Spotify. I've had a few people ask me in the recent uh, weeks if it was available, and now it is on Spotify. So if for whatever reason you're listening on a platform that you're frustrated with, you can switch over to that. I had some misgivings about Spotify, uh, but I think they've kind of reorganize a little bit and they treat artists a little bit better now so i don't feel as conflicted it's also available on apple podcasts google podcasts if you listen on a platform that i'm not listing let me know and i can help get the word out to other people that might want to use that one as well or if you'd like to see it on another one let me know early on someone was like hey can you put this on stitcher and i did so hopefully it's still working on stitcher uh the show as always, is made possible by contributions from listeners just like you. If you'd like to support the show, uh, you can go to the Patreon, Patreon slash David Huntsberger. For like 50 cents a week, or even less, even like 25 cents a week, you can just chip a little bit in, and that way the show continues with no annoying ads and me pretending to be excited about some product I've never used before. Okay, a while back... I mentioned trying to get some previous guests back, cycle through, catch up, see what they were up to, and um, going forward, going to have a bit more of that, which I'm excited about. Also, always continually looking for new guests. If you have people in mind, feel free to reach out, pings at thespacecave.com. But this guest, and I'd want to mention that his views are his and his alone. Last time he was here and we talked about the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, JPL, which is still one of those things that... um, to me, when I'm talking about it, I, I just, I think it's the coolest thing. And I'll say to people, oh man, I met someone from JPL. And they'll go, what, what's that? And I'm just baffled because it's people I would not expect to not know what JPL is. So that must mean that the general population has no idea what's going on. So I like getting people from those sort of institutions on a, on a show like this just to to get the word out more than it exists. We are exploring and it's real. It's real human beings doing it. And uh, he's been traveling all over and you'll hear all about it in this chat. Catching back up. This is part three with a physicist. And again, here on his own behalf, and you can listen to parts one and two to hear uh, his educational history, which is extraordinarily impressive. And more than that, He's an even cooler guy. I love hanging out with him. I'm really glad he made time to come by. And uh, he had a full day and then was like at the gym and then still made time at the end of his day to come by and do this, which I was really impressed by and and very thankful. So uh, anyway, I hope you appreciate it as well. Here's part three with Jason Rabinovich. Starting us off. So much to catch up on. This is This is the latest, I think, I've recorded the show, which is fun. Different dynamic. It feels like you're, I don't want to say burning the candle at all of the ends, but it uh, seems like you've had a pretty full day. Then you hit the gym, then up for some podcasting. That's pretty great. Yeah, it's a good way to end the day. <laughs> Have a beer and relax. Yeah, man. Is that your uh, normal routine to like hit the gym every night? 
Uh, no, not every night. A um, couple times a week for sure. Um, I try to at least after work. So That's pretty awesome. Uh, I've, I was talking to a guy a while ago who's like, oh yeah, I get up at five and I work out for a couple hours. Then I write for four hours and then I do other stuff. And I was like, it's always weird when people who have the habits that everyone else feels like they need to have you know everyone's like all right starting this year i'm reading more books i'm like relaxing more, more eating healthier yeah i'm eating more healthier. exercise sleeping more yep are you doing all that stuff oh i'm gonna foley us here um uh, i like to talk my girlfriend and i talk a lot when we're together and i like to talk on my own too um because she's up in the bay area mm-hmm. um try to get more exercise failing on the sleeping side of things <laughs> that's what i was gonna guess it <laughs> and, seems like with a schedule that'd be the first on my g- list of guesses as to what would be sacrificed and not doing so well on the reading front either need to get better on that too but your job sort of uh stimulates your mind in enough ways where i, I feel like reading is for most people, some form of meditation. You know, everyone's got like Netflix and all these things to zone out. But then reading is a, is a form of zoning out, but you have to be a little more invested in it. You know, you're you're doing the work and like reading the words into your head. Yeah, I mean, I, and I it it pains me a bit because I I loved reading growing up. I still do. It's just finding the energy, as you said. And like mm-hmm. I read papers during the day too, so it's hard sometimes to force myself to read for pleasure. Yeah, at the end of the day, I it seems. I don't know that you need anyone to validate it, but it seems like you get a pass. (laughs) (laughs) I still should read more. Don't give me a pass. Then you have illiterate engineers. That's true. That's a good point. And it is weird when engineers, scientists, doctors, people that are so busy aren't up on culture, aren't familiar with, uh, you know, and not to say like movies aren't as culturally relevant, but books, it always seems to, there's a list of however many classics that most people haven't worked their way through, let alone to get into like, the contemporary hits. So it's weird when, when people are like, Oh yeah, I'm just way too busy all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I will, I will plead the fifth on the books I'm supposed to have read that I probably (laughs) haven't read. Yeah. And sometimes like I've read a few of those that are on the all time classics list. I'm like, some books don't hold up as well. (laughs) So because I always scoff at like I'm going through an airport or they sell them at the grocery store, which it's a small section because you can kind of get frustrated. Like, why do we, we sell all these things and we're not, we're not trying to nourish or enrich our population with books. And then you go see this little section and it's like Daniel Steele is still heavily like Hmm. involved there. And I feel like, I don't know why I have a negative impression toward her. It's books. (laughs) She's like one of those (laughs) prolific people. I've also heard she's one of those people that other people write books and they just use her name to sell them. Cause Uh. How could she keep up that pace? It's been like 30 years of Non-stop. a bestseller a year, probably. <laughs> I don't know how we got on that topic, but just <laughs> like <laughs> the books that you're supposed to read. I don't know. There's a, do you get this? Do you have this feeling of like, there's like a perfect amount of whatever it is that I could in my lifetime potentially do? I, I don't know. I just, for that, I, I don't think I think that far forwards, honestly. I think it's like, <laughs> what do I want to be doing right now? And, you know, what am I embarrassingly far behind on, like, movies and culture and books and, like, oh, shoot, I should really start catching up now <laughs> on some of those. And I enjoy it. Like, that's the other thing. It's not like I don't enjoy it. It's yeah. just where the priorities are and where the time goes. That's great, though, to have so much so little free time and it's not because of something you hate or something you're like i genuinely am passionate and invested in doing the thing i went to school to to pursue right but don't don't get me wrong either like i watch netflix and stuff like that and i'll zone out it's Uh just you know i don't i don't have a 
ton of free time. But I mean, you know, weekends and things like that. I mean, it's been a lot of traveling, but also a lot of outdoors things, hiking and you know whatever else we can do outside. So yeah. biking and things like that. So yeah, it's been really. Well, I guess you've been all over the place, but here in LA, it's been up and down. We get really warm, and then it's back to being cold again. It's, it seems atypical this year. Yeah, and a lot of rain, but I mean, everything's super green outside, which yeah, is awesome. So. Yeah. Well, before we, I want to talk more about the travels. What do you think about this Lagunitas Super Cluster Ale? Let me take a sip and cheers. Yeah, cheers. Good to see you, man. You as well. I'm reaching over. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like it. I've never had it. Mm, that's good. It feels like it's on the lighter side for Lagunitas. Yes. A little bit. I've had a handful of theirs, I want to say. And then I noticed this now in the top or left, a Citra Hopped Mega Ale. Ale. I feel like ales, I like American Pale Ales. Those are growing on me lately. I don't know what a Mega Ale yeah, is, but this does feel like, like you said, like it's softer for them. I feel like their stuff is always pretty pungenty, sort of hoppy, a little more bitter. This, yeah. is, this is a little more um, citrusy and, and light. You taste the citrus. It's like a step back from their traditional IPAs, for sure. Mm-hmm. I love how it's of intergalactic proportions. <laughs> yeah. Well, I saw it, and I, I, and then I had to look up uh, what we had last time, and we had the, the space dust. Yeah, the illusion. Mm-hmm. And that was great. And then this time, uh, I thought, well, back to back, like space sounding, and I'm starting to notice more of them, like beers intersecting a little bit <laughs> with uh, astronomy and things like that. So. Space is hot right now. <laughs> if you're an eccentric billionaire, that's what you do. You start your own space company. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, I I go on and on about that of of how like if you we don't and this is sounds like socialism, but we we frown on people that don't work that are like we use the bottom end of the system, whether that's welfare or food stamps or whatever. The the people that feel like I work for everything I got, they hate them. They go, ah, you leeches. But like trust fund yacht kids that don't work and just go to coachella and burning man and stuff we don't hate them we go hey that's hey their grandfather earned that years and years ago uh, they, they still might be hated depending <laughs> on who you talk to i feel like they they deserve it more and that like they have they have they should in my mind have to fill out when they do their taxes every year what they plan to do with all that money because <laughs> if you are go- starting a space program and you only have like two billion each it's yeah. gonna be you're gonna be rough oh, you could do a lot with two billion okay oh, you could yeah, I mean, like, Elon, I think, I mean, and I'm going to get this number horribly wrong, but I think he put in about $100 million of his own money. Oh, okay. So where does the rest of SpaceX funding kind of, because that payroll and the amount of people, it's got to be... Originally, a lot was NASA, too. So there's been a big push for commercial partners uh, from NASA. So, I mean, don't get me wrong, Elon did a ton of that on his own. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that is also funded through NASA programs. And then now, a lot of, I mean, right now, they, they could be a profitable company if they wanted to. So they're paid every time they launch something. You know, if you built the satellite or they launch a bunch of NASA missions as well, we pay them. It's, you know, on the order of $65 million Whew. for one of their launch vehicles. Wow. And they just... I mean, he just approached NASA. If you were to go back and like replay, how does that come in where I'm him? I've got $100 million of my own. Where I'm like, here's what I want to do. And then the government essentially is like, I like your style. Yeah. So, I mean, I think he started first. And then, you know, this was the time where NASA basically had the push where 
if there are things that the commercial world can do better and cheaper mm-hmm. and actually make a profit on it, then why not? Then they should do it, right? NASA's not here to make a profit. NASA's here to do, you know, science and exploration. Mm-hmm. So if there is a, and in this case, an American company that can benefit from that investment, then they're all for it. Oh, it, I, I guess it, we just grow up thinking that like government vehicles and jobs and things like that are so like, inaccessible that you couldn't go in and just get a meeting with someone and go hey i'm someone i i did paypal yeah well he's also more than just <laughs> someone off the side of the street yeah so they keep tabs <laughs> they would know like yeah i mean it's just people at the end of the day right mm-hmm. and especially if someone has the means and the drive to do something that's going to benefit everyone i mean it's it's in nasa's best interest to incentivize that and i i mean i don't i have no idea how that story took place like who told who or who was doing what <laughs> Yeah, why don't um, we know that? That seems like that's, that's a good slice of American history. I'm sure it's somewhere written down. I, <laughs> in, I'm sure it's in Elon's biography. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really is that, I mean, the same, you know, I mean, Bezos, I think, is doing investing a lot more of his own money um, in Blue Origin and things like that. So, but at the end of the day, NASA has no real desire to be doing things that the commercial sector can do better and make a profit on. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just better for everyone. They'll do it like space heads will create launch vehicles cheaper and then everyone saves money. Would it become a thing where, you know, FedEx and UPS and these companies that are running circles financially around the U S postal service. And yet we keep the postal service for some reason. I'm sure there's a, a good reason. A lot of people use it. It's helpful, but Amazon uses it. <laughs> it seems like there are ways stamps.com. I think that yeah. they still use. So it's, it's valuable, but it also feels like it just takes such a loss every year. And then are, are we trying to avoid that with the space program? Yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, we see a, you, the postal service as kind of like something that has to exist, right? It should be in a developed country. It's mm-hmm. kind of part of the infrastructure. Um, with the space program, I mean, I think it's it's just not something that NASA can really do as efficiently. And there's so many people who want access to space, be it communication satellites, be it kind of industry for industrial espionage, for weather. There's both a scientific and a commercial side to it. So NASA doesn't really want to get involved in launching commercial payloads and things like that. You know, Mm -hmm. it's much cleaner, efficient, cheaper if you have private companies who can, you know, launch a NASA mission one day and then the next day launch a a communication satellite for Singapore and make a profit on it two things popped up there the first being last time you and i i think you were the first one that presented the idea of using the moon and kind of like you know lower gravity having a base there Mm -hmm. secondly the idea of the space force everyone laughed at it and thought it was so dumb i do think people up there patrolling around like pulling people over seems silly but the, the idea of a space sort of inspection group before you leave you know it seems like you could write a lot of movies where the bad guys are paying private companies to launch things and who's who's monitoring that who would be policing it right so those are two interesting points and questions and um, the first one so you know right now nasa's kind of initiative based on the current administration is boots on the moon like going back to the moon basically mm-hmm. um it's getting back to the moon by 2024 and um doing more exploration there and one of the main reasons there is to you know the potential to have a base and say orbit around a kind of a lunar orbit or 
actually have astronauts on the moon themselves and mm -hmm. having a scientific base there. And that can, as we discussed last time, I think, you know, you can use it to demonstrate technologies that you would need for space exploration for Mars and all these kinds yeah. of things. But it's a little bit closer, so it's a little bit safer. And so that that is a big push right now. Um, I mean, you saw it too by the Israeli lunar mission that tried to land on the moon uh, last week, I believe. Oh, I'm unfamiliar with this. Yeah, and unfortunately, they had some issues right at the end, so they crashed pretty at about 25 meters per second, I think, into the surface. But oh. they were really close, and for especially for a privately funded kind of mission. Yeah. And so, yeah, so there's a big push. There's a lot of commercial interest in the moon, too, for different commercial vehicles that could send science missions and things like that. So there, there's the idea of it it could be commercialized as well. Mm -hmm. And for the second point of who polices all this stuff in Space Force, I think Space Force was presented in a way that, uh, you know, kind of made a lot of people laugh at it, mm -hmm. um, especially, too, you know, working at JPL and and being a part of NASA where it kind of insinuated that we hadn't been doing anything <laughs> for the past couple of decades. Um, and, you know, in the original founding of NASA, there was a huge issue as to whether or not it would be a civilian organization versus the Air Force wanted it under a branch of the Air Force. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, having, I mean, and the U.S. military does a ton of stuff in space. I mean, that's the other thing to already know. It's not like the Air Force doesn't pay attention to space. It's not like... The, all the advances in GPS and communications and just there's if you look at all the shuttle missions that launched there's a large percentage that were classified so if, if you ever go to the LA Science Center it's great to walk around the edge of the room where they have the shuttle and just see like every couple of missions you're like classified 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 oh, wow, so there's, cool. there's there's a ton of military operations in space already why uh, to go into that a little further like the the foil hats would would have their nefarious reasons for that Classified could have a variety of reasons that I just, I guess, blindly sort of trust and go, yeah, I don't think we should know. Maybe the public shouldn't know. But then I also, the other side, like, why not, though? What What's going up there? I mean, for that, I mean, obviously, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever been a, a part of a classified build or anything like that? No, no, no. I mean, I'm Canadian, so I, <laughs> I had, absolutely do not have a security clearance or anything like that. But I mean... A lot of that stuff ends up being reconnaissance satellites, and so we. So a lot of them are understanding, you know, be it imaging or be it other ways to remotely monitor what's going on. Um, a lot of the satellites that are of that nature are defensive in the sense that they can track launches from different parts of the world, so that if there was an attack, mm -hmm. that you would have very instantaneous information as to where it was going and what kind of you know, payload or asset was yeah was traveling. So it's things like that. I mean, the military has GPS capabilities and things like that. So it's, I, I don't think it's to the level of the foil hats. And I think, you know, it's, it's in different countries' best interest sometimes to, you know, keep that technology closer mm -hmm. to themselves. So I think that's the, you know, the rationale behind it. But I don't think it's, it's usually nothing that you know like no they're watching us or they're listening to us it's <laughs> yeah. like what would they do with that information mm -hmm. right? or what would we do with that information is it, is it is there a certain point where like the paradigm that is reality needs to be managed i think people think of and again you're here on behalf of yourself you don't mm -hmm. represent jpl i don't want to like, i press. don't represent nasa jpl caltech right These are my own opinions These are your own, <laughs> and i, I don't want to press too much on this but just the idea of i think that's where people get that fodder for that is thinking that the the people, the powers that be would have a vested interest in like, I think this is all people can handle. If they knew 
whatever this you know science fiction movie is it it would create chaos i don't think i don't necessarily think it's for the civilian like for the nor- the population right because i don't think most of us would really care it's be like oh they can take a picture of your car <laughs> i already assumed that like <laughs> yeah i think it's mainly like you know it's still it's that it's controlling the technology in a sense that countries have decided that they don't want to share everything equally with all other countries in the world and then you know trying to keep the upper hand sometimes and you know it goes back and forth i think like recently india shot down a satellite in lower earth orbit um just to prove that they could do it and so you know that's because it's the u.s has done that in the past china's done it i think russia's done it too is this an out-of-service one where it's just up there it was an out-of-service one it's always dangerous to do that because you create a lot of space debris so you have to be very careful about that where do they Um, send it down and does anything really touch us or does it burn up it'll all burn up but i think there is a potential concern that some of the debris at least was passing through the orbit of the space station so that they have to pay attention to things like that yeah wow um so you know sometimes it's a show of strength of hey look at what we have the capability to do and sometimes you know countries decide we're not going to tell you what we can do and so yeah who knows (laughs) <laughs> I mean, th- that's the beauty of working for NASA, though, is, you know, we, we work on science missions, and especially from JPL, you know, using the, the Mars missions as an example, every time we take a photo or an image or a piece of data, it immediately gets posted online. Mm-hmm. So, like, the data we take is all open, and everyone, yeah. anyone can see it. And, and any time there is a glitch, what's that weird shadow? There's a guy that's been living up there forever no, and all this. Th- amazing conspiracy <laughs> theories about spoons on Mars and this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. yeah. I love that, uh, it, it, well, to back up a little bit, like, the... What you are doing, I would assume there are within the walls sort of a, a mission statement or of, you know, to think of just getting on a horse and going fast and then being like, I I just saw further than anyone's seen in that direction. And then a stagecoach and then a train and then vehicles and then faster. And then you just looked at Earth from afar and the speed at which it started to move. All the little beings essentially going like buzzing around this hive is like getting very busy it feels to me that that reaches like a critical you know i don't want to say mass but it reaches like a fervor where now like it's going to branch out and then the idea that oh my son works in the bay area he takes the train my daughter works here and she that you could go oh yeah my son's on the moon travels back and forth to mars is that how small we're trying to make the world where it's more accessible to really get out there i'd say that's like elon's kind of idea right now and bezos too um you know bezos wants to put all manufacturing into space so that the earth can stay like a national park Mm -hmm. in a sense and so we stop polluting it um I'd say that's a ways off. I mean, NASA, I think, is it's definitely geared towards exploration, you know, boots on the moon, boots on Mars, and things like that. But it's also more of a understanding the solar system, understanding our origins. Right now, there's a huge emphasis on exoplanets, and are we the only... So, A, are we the only life in the solar system, and are, are we the only life, you know, in the universe? So, mm-hmm. I don't think we're... It, you know, NASA's not pushing for, like, how do we get from the moon to Mars and back if I need to commute? Is there rush hour? Um, <laughs> it's it's slow going right like the technology is still very complicated the levels of reliability that you know 
civilian air travel is a great example. We've made air travel extremely, extremely, extremely safe. Yeah. And we're nowhere close to that level for space travel or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're sitting on a bomb for the rockets. It's, yeah. You're, it's ridiculous. So, And there's a volatility there that we're really not going to contain. Theori- I mean, at, at this point, we kind of know what rockets do, and they're always going to remain unpredictable and dangerous and but I mean, we get better at predicting them they get more efficient they get safer they get more reliable you know we have more and more an advanced understanding of these things but you know that compared to the risks associated with driving your car to work we're just not yet at mm-hmm. least you know we're not at the same level for mm-hmm. something like that well i don't know how far into this i would even fully understand but like with vehicles people bring up it's just there are so many of them and so many people driving them that that's where the inherent risk is it's just in the percentage of like possibility Mm -hmm. whereas if you have one thing that everyone has a specific job can you can you minimize the risk to a point where you're like yeah it's 99.999 like getting that third nine is a huge step something to that effect in terms of like riding a rocket inside of, sort of like yeah step on board folks rockets are just imagine if you had 12 mechanics always looking at your car right before you went to work yeah but we already have like thousands of mechanics <laughs> looking at the rocket before they launch and yeah. there's still like i mean the shuttle astronauts so if you read some of the literature by the astronauts every every event has a percent chance of death mm-hmm. and it's it's not 0.001 percent i don't want to quote a number because i'll get it wrong but it's much okay. higher than that so but it is higher than like oh 0. yeah okay. it's just the complexity of the system there's so many more just parts and things and the energy density like you know you you have a fuel tank for your car and it's filled with gas and worst case if that blows up that's not good yeah but it's nowhere near the same thing if a rocket blows up like just (laughs) the amount of energy you have and things that could go wrong with it and how complex it's you know we got very good at developing internal combustion engines. And it, as you said, part of it is just the the number. There's so many people who use them that we build so many. And space, these rockets are so big, they're so complicated, they're so expensive that when you have a $65 million rocket, you can only make so many of them. And SpaceX has been launching more than most other companies. I mean, we've had solid rocket launches, you know, since, since the Apollo era. There's been tons of launch company, launch vehicle companies and tons on the international scene as well space sets is just very good at publicity so people tend to you know be aware of them more uh, that, I, that fascinates me because i feel because of the volatility i've always just had this feeling similar to like seeing government vehicles to the the inaccessibility is not because they don't want us to see it it's because of the risk it's that if everyone was televised the the chances of everyone watching a disaster go up quite a bit they go up and also I mean, I think, you know, if you look at, like, Arian and some other launch vehicle companies, it's just routine. Like, they launch rockets all the time and uh-huh. they go well. Yeah. It's not a bunch of, you know, employees cheering <laughs> every time. They're like, it's really a big deal if they screw up. Yeah. Because they have, like, they're so reliable and things just go well. That's awesome, though. That's where it starts to get into, step right up, folks. It's as safe as getting on a Ferris wheel. But We're that, going to the moon. But that's still, like... Pay, those are robotic payloads. Those are always satellites. It's not human. Mm-hmm. The The risk tolerance levels are so much lower for humans that the the quote um, that some people use is like, human spaceflight is governed by the statisticians, 
which means every event, every mechanical design, every, you know, anything has a percent chance of death. And that's what you're trying to minimize. So within the capsule, and this is just a reach, but if the force is too great, something shears off and, and rips past and just misses um, the satellite that's in there or whatever what your payload would be, or and it's non-critical damage. And everyone goes, whew. Whereas if that's a human sitting there, yeah, it's, it's a disaster. It's a lot different. And if you blow up a, an American hero or a French hero or an Australian hero, something like that, it's mm-hmm. the the fallout is a lot worse, and it can you know it can ground your space program for a long time. Versus if you blow up a communication satellite, especially if it's a you know something that made a lot of it's like well we took a financial hit, but we have ten more, so <laughs> let's launch the next one. Humans are not so replaceable and 65 million with this immense wealth that's starting to like be amassed by people is sort of like okay let's do it it's like a hand at a craps table for someone that brought you know 10 times the amount of that hand with them but also it's just the access is still limited there's not a lot of launches right Mm -hmm. and so there's very few people who want to do that and then as the earlier question you asked like most of the launch sites are still controlled by nasa and the u.s government so SpaceX, you know, when they when they launch a rocket these days, they can't just launch whatever they want because then the government can basically say, well, no, you don't have access to the launch site and all yeah. the resources that come with that. So, so we can't, hey, we made a cool rocket. We're driving out right now. Come see us. No, 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 no. You know, just get to go yeah. set up your rocket. and. So the, there's a lot of policy like that. I mean, they used to launch, they owned their own island when they were starting up and then, you know, they can launch whatever the heck they want mm-hmm. off of that, but they don't have the resources to launch the larger rockets okay. that they do now. Yeah. I mean, watching some of the, the when they, what do they call it, shooting it or, you know, where they, they, fi- they fire The hot fires. The yeah. hot fires where it's tethered down and mm. then it rumbles. The, the circumference of just what, it seems like it's like 30 feet. It's enormous, just the shell or the body of the rocket. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're big things. They're, they're huge and it's all fueled pretty well on the inside and stuff mm-hmm. like that, so... Have you been there for one of those for the firings or for the launch for like at the site where you can feel a little bit of the heat? I've I've never been that close. I saw one one of the last last couple of shuttle launches um, in 2007 or 2008 um, ages ago. Mm-hmm. And that was super cool just to yeah. see that. But I mean, we were still pretty far away. <laughs> I I just think it's so fascinating. I think of it as like little Wright Brothers footage and stuff and like, well, you know, Chuck Yeager and all them trying to, just the advancement of like, can we even sustain flight? Then into like, how fast can we go with it? Then into now, it's so dangerous. Like, we're just sending satellites and we're just sending, you know, some sort of robotic thing a hundred times, a thousand times. How many times do we have to do it where we're like, feel pretty good about humans getting on this one? Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's ironic. My girlfriend, I just rewatched um, The Right Stuff the other night, which is <laughs> awesome. So, st- still thinking about that. And those, I mean, those test pilots took a ton of risk, right? Um, the broken leg with, like, the wedging and the, the stick and that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, it's just like, I mean, and usually... It's not the astronauts. The same mentality. The astronauts are not the risk adverse. It's, you know, the people contr- deciding yeah. whether or not they should launch. But the thing is, it's still, it's a numbers game. And we just don't have that many launches. And also, humans are much more needy than <laughs> uh, an electronic satellite. You know, yeah. all the air, we're very limited in the G-loads we can take. You need mm-hmm. to be able to survive and all these kinds of things. So... It changes things a lot when you move to humans versus just robotic payloads. We're so needy. We really are. The people that design it and get it to within, 
you know, just that reach, just that step. We're like, oh, come on. There's not a human alive that can take this? <laughs> like, yeah, we've, we've researched it. They all throw up. They all pass out. Come on, get them in there. Yeah, and so, I mean, and there's tons of people. It's The humans want to take that risk, too. But uh-huh. then it's, you know, it's once again, like, should we let people just hop on a rocket that has, like, a 50-50 chance of them dying? And yeah. Even if they accept that risk, you know. Do we, th- you know, when when the train was invented and they were na- they were skeptic that I don't think a human body can go that fast, and now we kind of scoff at that. But then the speed of sound, everything we've passed or surpassed, are we? We're, it sounds like we're getting to a place where like, whew, or are we going to look back at this and think it was silly? Like, oh, now we're now we're navigating the space time continuum. We figured that out. <laughs> Rockets, that was nothing. I still like. I mean, it's we know there's no physical barrier, right? We we landed people on the moon in sixties, so this is nothing. It's not like the sound barrier where we didn't have the predictive capability to really understand what was going to happen. We know what kills humans, and we know when we can survive. Mm-hmm. It's just the fact. I mean, in my opinion, it's just that the the rockets and the machines are still really complex, and so there's a lot of stuff that has to go right. And there's a lot of really minor stuff that can go wrong and that ends up being a really bad day. Mm-hmm. So with the current way we launch things with chemical rockets and just with the level of technology right now, I don't see the risk going down all that much. I mean, it's getting better and better and better, you know, as, as there's more companies, as there's more launches, as more people work on it. But that's being said, we still have issues. I mean, one of the recent Soyuz capsules at the space station had a hole in it, Ooh. right? That someone accidentally drilled and things like, like it's. And then you come, you come all the way from the technology down to the, like you have to have humans building these things, and they're really complicated, and it's very easy to make mistakes, no matter how much money and time you put into it. Yeah. And if something's wired wrong, you know, it, all these little things can like. Like one astronaut put things in perspective when he was talking and was saying like, look, if you have a base on Mars and the toilet breaks, you die. If like anything goes wrong, you basically, you die. And so, you know, if something goes wrong with your car, you pull over, you call AAA and all this kind of stuff. You just, you don't have those resources in space. So the level of reliability is so much higher unless you're willing to accept the fact that if something breaks, you're literally dead. Like you get a flat tire and now you're dead. I bring it up sometimes that like when I worked on this ranch, we would have cattle. They don't allow it anymore, but like way up by like Mount Whitney, like 10, 11,000 feet. And even just to get down into the, you know, if I had to go, and it's not a big city near there at all, but just to get down to like resources was like a full day's ride. Mm-hmm. So if anything happened to me or like the horse I was on, there's no phone, there's no way to get in yeah. touch with people. It's not entirely helpless, but it's a very like... I got to just put this out of my mind. But I would imagine when you're on Mars and the idea of like the levels back it goes, there's not a shuttle there waiting to go, oh, there's an emergency. Everyone hop in. Let's go. Well, it's essentially you have to survive with what you have. Like there's no option. There's no days right away. It's like, well, that's a nine month journey (laughs) bet that we can't even do. So let's. Would we put something in orbit that was like the space station that was just like, all right, we got extra toilets. We're at least trying that. There is, I mean, there's, uh, there's absolutely redundancy. So all these missions you have, especially for critical things, you try to have as many redundant components as possible. So you would have spares and up to a point. Right. Right. And then the other thing is, there's a lot of, there's a more of an emphasis, I would say, these days for long duration space missions on having doctors on board and things like that, and engineers. Like you have to be able to fit everything, you have to be able to fit the humans, you have to be self-sustainable. It's yeah. kind of like 
the equivalent of some of the research outposts in like the Antarctic and places like that, where you really need all the resources. You have to be able to survive with what you have, and it's about no outside help. Yeah. But I think of it in two ways. Are we getting way ahead of ourselves? I think people that are excited about it, you and I included, I'm assuming, feel like it's taken too long. Like, come on, why aren't we there yet? I remember the, the original like Humans on Mars years ago was 2020 was like a um, target date mm-hmm. and now we're so far past that i i mean for me it's like just the more you learn the more you realize like it's a really hard problem like you know like radiation in space and when you're traveling like things that space that's just doesn't talk about and things that people are like we actually don't really have a solution for that yet so there's just a lot of things like Space is a really unforgiving environment. Mars is not a place where you just land and then everything's fine. The moon, like, the same idea. So we're really lucky with the Earth. I mean, to me, it just puts things in perspective and, like, we should really be spending a lot more energy, like, cleaning up the Earth because it's, like, all the other places are really not nice places to live. Oh, God, I could get into a whole thing. First, I want to, that ties into my point of, or the, the, the duality of the things of, like, what's taking so long on the other side the thing i the more i learn about it the more i'm like do we need to do this you know it's so dangerous and it's what is the end product just to say we have humans on an unforgiving uninhabitable place that are going to try to terraform it or what or just to have the experience of saying i was one of the first there i mean so i mean i think there's two sides i mean i absolutely think it's worthwhile but i think we do a lot of science missions and we do we are we do send a lot of robotic missions to lots of different places in our solar system and we're really trying to understand where we came from are we alone and big big questions like that that i think could fundamentally change the way the human race perceives itself and then at the same time you always want to push the envelope and you know you develop more technology by getting humans back to the moon you develop more technologies by getting humans to mars maybe you can finally be take a little more risk and understand what's going on and so the only way to push it is to keep trying like yeah it's just as you as you said like the evolution of transportation and up to a train and now we have bullet trains that go incredibly fast like no one who conceived the original idea of a train <laughs> would ever imagine like wait you're gonna use magnets and not wheels yeah and like, so you have to do it to keep progressing and i just watched a um i think it's just humanity that's us we gotta know we want to be there we'll, we'll probably do it too soon too early with too much risk but if we narrowly get there we love a, a movie where the person makes the jump and then is teetering on the edge <laughs> but they made it and then they lean forward and ah, and they're safe like that's everything we do we don't like plan so far ahead that we land 10 feet past the the, the precipice of death we get right to the edge and we did it right and you have to there. you have to push it somehow yeah and so i like that i think that part's really cool that we do that the the tra- you know the Watch this documentary on Bob Lazar, which I would imagine most JPL people and just enthusiasts of... He was a rocket guy. He built rockets, and then his whole story was that he went to Area 51, mm-hmm. and he kind of broke the code, and he talked about it. And so now he's he's kind of this... The foil hat guys love mm-hmm. the Bob Lazar stuff, Which, but when you watch him talk, you're like, I can imagine him just sitting and hanging out with any scientist because he's not sensationalized in any way he's very pragmatic like this is what i saw i'm not trying to like make money off this this is just what i saw but when he describes the ship that he saw and what he thought it worked off this element where it would project and sort of move through dark matter or or space in a way that that used gravity like we don't really know what gravity is 
for me, that's great. For someone who doesn't know all the physics behind it, I'm like, that could happen. <laughs> but I do love that, that like, once we master this one, there is potentially the next technology going faster, going further, you know. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, like, things will change. I'm sure, you know, in the future, they'll think back to me like, they use, like, chemical propulsion for their rockets? <laughs> like, what the hell are they doing? Right, yeah. And, and you get into ion stuff and a little... Yeah, I mean, we use ion engines. We have electric propulsion for in space. And then things will change. You have to keep moving forwards in order mm-hmm. to figure out what's nuts. Yeah. The point you we just kind of glazed over, which I feel like I kind of ask everyone of your educational background this to a certain degree. You're, and I know you guys don't like to refer to yourselves as rocket scientists, but for lack of a better term. Uh, people, I mean, I don't work on any rockets. So. I know, but come on. Give me, <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, you, more than anyone, would understand rocket science. And yet someone who's... Uh, you just have a mental picture of who they are and bless their heart. They've got their opinions, but very limited education. They vote and they go to these rallies and they chant and cheer and they frown on the notion of climate change. That's fine if you think that. But why is it this human thing that has taken sides that like, I hate recycling because it represents something else. I don't, I wouldn't drive a hybrid car because it represents why just the, that must drive you insane. Yeah, that that one is just, I mean, it's super illogical. And I mean, I think that I would say that that's a little emphasized more in this country. And it's just highly politicized, too, which is the same thing. But Canada, thing. Trudeau is like, he's making deals with those pipelines and stuff. Like, he's... He's, you know, he, yeah, he's, he has some issues, too, for sure. I mean, I'm a big liberal supporter at home, but mm-hmm. he's not perfect by any means. Um, yeah, it's... I mean, I think a lot of it is the fats get skewed in public media and that it really is a complicated thing if you start looking into the details. At the end of the day, for me, I mean, we're, you know, we're very sure that the planet's warming up. We're very, we're pretty sure that it's because of humans. Like, mm-hmm. if the off, 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 off chance that we're still wrong, like, why not make the planet better anyways? Like there's no yeah. reason not it's, and it's getting to the point where it's hard to turn back at this point. So like and we just, should be doing a lot. Yeah, I mean, the science is so, I mean, I guess you have two sides. You have cool science stuff like Tesla's and why wouldn't everyone want things that were cool and sleek and futury like that? And, you know, using solar and using wind and, you know, using the mm-hmm. earth in a much more sustainable way seems cooler. I wish there was just better branding on it so that people would be like, oh, yeah, this is gross and gurgly and smoky and ugly. And it's the branding and it's the politicized nature. And it's it's also not easy. You have to do it correctly. Like you have careers and you have livelihoods that are based on technologies that it's probably time for a shift, but you have to do that in a sustainable way, not only for the technologies, but for the people who work on it and find training programs and new jobs. And like, there's the human factor too, that you do really have to account for. You can't just like suddenly put an entire industry out of business and assume it's going to be fine. Yeah. I I mean, everything that we have done up until this point, and again, the, I, I use some jokes in my stand-up act a little bit about Mars and like we're, we're heading for it and we're bringing all of our stuff with it, which is 
we don't know what we're doing necessarily. We're just happy to be here. And then we start mining and we dig into it and we do these irreparable sort of damages after the fact. And go, okay, well, maybe after 200 years of replanting these forests, we'll catch back up to the devastation mm-hmm. we did. And I mean, just, we already pollute the surface of Mars. We leave so much crap there. Yeah. Like our spacecraft that land and things like that. Just crashing straight into mm-hmm. it. <laughs> we did it. We got something there. If Mars is just out there just getting some sun, just slowly turning around like this feels great ah what the and then you just if mark can like Mm -hmm. zoom in and see these humans all high-fiving on earth we did it you're like oh no they're gonna be here before i know it and i'm gonna be itchy it's gonna be this isn't my stand-up stuff by the way i'm just the concept of this to me is why do we root for ourselves why we the best of us is amazing the majority of us the bulk of us you wouldn't wish that on any planet yeah, but it's changing. I mean, I don't know. If you compare civilization on the Earth now to 100 or 500 years ago, we always progress and we make mistakes, but we move forwards. And if you wait, the other thing too, I think, is if you just wait and try and understand everything before you move forwards, it's impossible to make progress. So, like, yeah. we're going to make mistakes, but we have to realize that we're making mistakes and do our due diligence to correct them. Yeah. I noticed you're out of beer. Do you want to grab another one or do you need to get going? Um, I should probably get going in not too long. Okay, all right. I was I went to the All Space Considered recently. Have you been to that at the Griffith Observatory? It was really cool. They just kind of give you a synopsis once a month on like here's kind of everything that happened in not specifically space. It's a lot of it is space, but just kind of mm-hmm. science in general. It's really neat. And um, I think we talked maybe a little bit about Bennu last time or Osiris Rex to some degree. Yeah. And like I would, I, my perception of it. I think was either off or you guys changed design by understanding the asteroid. I thought it was a one big rock and you had these little hook things that were going to like kind of grab onto it. Like almost like a net. Does that sound familiar? So there was the asteroid retrieval mission. Yeah. That yeah. has been canceled subsequently. Osiris Rets, I don't believe is general land. But I'm not 100% sure. I th- so what they said of this was that they showed pictures. They've got like really close up mm-hmm. pictures of it you think of like a big rock but in reality it was so baffling to watch where it's just like a gravel pit suspended in space mm-hmm. and then you start wondering about all the gravity involved there like it seems like if you and i just poked it it would just right break for apart. a rebel pile and- yeah and so how does all i couldn't understand the gravity of it i couldn't understand the little rubble mixed with like bigger kind of aggregate stuff how the gravity all works there and that why wouldn't it all just drift apart? So I think, I mean, I'm no, by no means an expert, but it means there's enough gravity to hold it together. You have kind of electrostatic charging of things that will also help hold things together. But mm-hmm. basically, if it's there and together, it means the math says it should be there and together. <laughs> if we don't understand the math, that's different, but there's some reason why it's there. Does our water staying on our spinning Earth, that's the same sort of concept, the electrostatic, like the force? Well, that's, that's gravity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just just the mass pulling everything together okay yeah those are ones where like when i really think about it i'm like eh, it just seems intuitive and yet i don't i can't really explain it well the earth is big and heavy so there's a <laughs> lot of a lot of i mean there's a reason why we're not spinning you know mm-hmm. into space right now yeah <laughs> we're all just tugged in here and yet still our that mass can be affected by the moon Yep. I mean, the moon's also pretty big. That's why we have tides and things mm-hmm. like that. It's, yeah, I mean, it, I think it's super fascinating where, like, if you actually go through the numbers and do the math, all these things are possible. But it's 
when you start to get to you know planetary scales and things like that it's very hard to have physical intuition unless you've worked in that field for a long time mm -hmm. and so if you want to convince yourself you know go on wikipedia and start looking up the equations and you can convince yourself that it made sense <laughs> But when you see it with like the bumblebee with its tiny wings or all the things where they go, hey, we don't know. It's magic, man. It's just magic. <laughs> Is that a curse word at JPL? No. I mean, I don't think magic. I mean, it's not magic. There's just plenty of things we don't understand i think that's the healthy realization is that as you dig into any field um there's tons of stuff we don't understand there's tons of uncertainties there's tons of things you progress from you know high school to university where like questions have a right answer and then you get to a point where it's like well we don't really know like we think it could be this but on the other hand it could be this and that's why we send missions and do scientific exploration to try and figure out is it hypothesis a or hypothesis b yeah I, I feel like entertainers or artistic people get to have the, um, and maybe this does happen in science too, but get to have the, I don't want to say like liberty, but just the luxury, I suppose, of driving along, thinking about nothing, and ooh, an idea popped in their head. Just, oh, okay, I'll write a song about that, or maybe that could be a movie. I feel like when people win a Nobel Prize, every moment of their life is consumed with it. You don't, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe you're driving along and then you go, I think I just solved dark energy. Well, so I'd say like a Nobel Prize might be the extreme, right? And that okay. is usually a celebration of a life's work and things like that. But I think there are plenty of people who have been driving along or in the shower or at the gym and then have an idea that pops into their head and they write a paper about it. Or but like, just far afield from what they're really, you know, microscopically and or just myopically focused on daily? I mean, it's, you know, I'm not going to be driving to work and be like, I'm going to write a biology paper sure, because that's sure, yeah. just not going to work. <laughs> but it's the same way that like a country singer is not going to suddenly be like, I'm going to sing an opera. Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a good point. So I'd say that it's going to be related to your field of study, but you know, those ideas can come at any time. And I don't think that Nobel Prize aside, like lots of things like that. People have hypotheses that you just, you know, if you're thinking creatively and thinking out of the bots ideas can come at any time when you have those i mean who do you talk to them about i mean it depends what it's on like you know people write papers on thought experiments and very you know high impact papers on things like that or you have a team and you're like what about this what if this is why venus formed or something like that and then you discuss it and mm -hmm. see if you know if it's plausible does it pass the laugh test and things like that mm -hmm. Um, and so, I mean, it just depends on the nature of the idea or you talk to your friends and you're like, Hey guys, well, I'm thinking about this and they'll be like, you're an idiot or, you know, that's a good idea. <laughs> when, uh, Katie Bauman and the MIT crew get relatively accurate photos of a black hole mm -hmm. and we trust that we go weirdly looks very similar to all of the Photoshop previous <laughs> versions. <laughs> it turns out we were really good at guessing what it would look like. We get it. And then the laugh test maybe 50, 100, 150 years ago, whenever, of people who go, I think we're involved in this. I think this is what the universe is. And people would have gone, what? Because I think even Einstein got chuckled at a little bit. Until well, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're pushing, you know, pushing the bubble on thought and ideas and same with Stephen Hawking, like, mm -hmm. not everyone's going to believe you because if it's obvious, like, people would know it already. Yeah. And that kind of thing, too. I mean, it's amazing work, and it takes an, a team of a huge international team to do it. And you also, because of that, it's there's a lot of people who have worked on it and a lot of people who have 
made sure that it's likely very correct so I, like that's yeah. where you can trust it it's not just one person being like oh here's a picture of a black hole that's thou- like probably thousands of people and yeah her picture with like 20 hard drives that are right probably- and that petabytes of data and things yeah. like that there's a whole, so much work in history <laughs> that goes behind that that it's not just randomly being like oh I hear-. it's like you tend to trust that the the sort of shoulders of giants aspect for then we get to see a flyby of pluto and just the immense amount of in decades and in hundreds of years of people just slowly working toward that moment and we all go oh okay cool that's what pluto looks like yeah i mean in a sense we must get a little bit spoiled right i mean new horizons was a a great success and that takes a long time and a lot of people working on it um and great ideas to do it but I mean, I still do hope it like makes people wonder and gives some inspiration and awe. Because like, if you look at what we thought Pluto looked like for over the past decades, it's crazy to see how the resolution changes and the detail we can see in the heart, the famous heart on Pluto and yeah. things like that. Yeah, no, it's really. It was. I don't know why I had a preconceived notion. Why? But I think we all kind of did. Whether it was from little kid science. Fair yeah, it's like these like, little blue dots and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. And you're like, oh, it's going to be perfectly like flat, and <laughs> it's like we just don't know. Yeah, and I love it now that we're we're building that map in a way that we we reach out in the dark and kind of have an idea. I think it's this, and then however long later we go, no, it's and so now that black hole image illuminates like to some degree okay this map is a little bigger now now we've got an idea mm-hmm. what is this and then i always try to think like just zoom it way back i've asked you this question like you're huge you don't know what's behind you but you're holding the universe in your hands and it's roughly the size of a basketball like what would it feel like how would you describe the universe oof i have no idea <laughs> <laughs> i'd say it's something that like looks insanely complex and be like I think I'd take a step after me like, how am I holding this? <laughs> You'd want to, I would, yeah, I wouldn't want to look behind me. What, what's, what's out here? Why did anyone trust me with this, guys? <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, the idea of time travel is so silly because our little solar system has a place within that, that globule thing. Where is that? You know, if it, is it moving and is it orbiting around something or our entire galaxy, the way it's spiraling? The, the idea that you would pick a point and say 1981, that's that means nothing. You'd have to say it in relative to what the Big Bang. How would you decide like where that point in time was? Well, but I think that's the thing, the interesting thing, right? You know, time is a whole other thing we try to understand, and we just don't. So it's it's all relative. And as we move forwards with technology, who knows what we'll understand about it? I mean, I think it's crazy that just you know we can see into the past essentially by looking at objects that are farther and farther away because of the speed of light. And so you can get information on things that happened millennia ago, but that you're just observing right now. Yeah. And so all this, I mean, it, which is a form of time travel, maybe. Um, <laughs> so I think, you know, as as we move forwards, we'll understand these things better. There's a lot of math behind it. And you go from there. That's so cool. I mean, the, the idea that that light that's coming toward you, if you, I remember thinking this a little bit as a kid, like if I keep watching it, the light is a stream, you know, and there's, there is at some point there is one photon at the very end of that line in the stream and then they would all go into my eye and then no more. Yep. And then I just saw it I mean, burn out. likely that star is already extinct in yeah, real yeah. time, but you're just watching. 
Do you ever do that at night? Like when you're looking at stars, go, okay, I'm pretty sure that one burned out. And maybe tonight's <laughs> the night I see the end of it. It's final photon reach me. I mean, we live in LA. It's hard to see stars. That's true. I know. Damn. No, I'm, I'm really bad at constellations and things like that. So, but when I'm out in the woods, I mean, it's, I love just staring at the stars and enjoying them for what they are. I do too. I, and I used to kick myself and really be hard. Like I should know all the cool, cool, and yeah. like interesting people can point and that's this. And, that. and now I just like, it means nothing to me. I don't yeah, really they, care. They have an app for that. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The apps are cool, and I look and go, all right. But I also feel like it's unfair that other groups long ago got to, that's this. And I, no, it's not. It looks nothing like that. But it is, and it's fine. And then you just have to fit the picture of whatever you're looking it's at. It's a wolf wearing a hat, and he's fighting this guy. He's doing a leg kick. And you're like, this is four stars. There's no way all that stuff can be happening. Yeah, they were creative. They named it first. That's true. Yeah, they do get dibs. They named it. And the and could look up that was their tv though so that was them pointing out like spoilers in a netflix show rewind it look at that again every night see same four i told you so that all right you got me there they were they do have dibs that'd be rude of us to go no no this is this is it now i'm gonna rename it (laughs) what would you like to see i mean and you can go as big or small as you would like. Humans on Mars, us making contact with someone else, understanding the edge of what it all is. Um, my, I'd say my biggest interest right now is understanding whether or not life in some way, shape, or form exists in our solar system. So there's been a lot of work recently on uh, some of the icy moons like Enceladus and Titan. Titan a little bit, yeah. yeah. Um, and so... It would end Europa, I would say. So it would be really like sending missions to places where we have we have ice, but it's covering a subsurface liquid water ocean that, you know, from what we understand right now, may have the correct conditions to harbor life, and really trying to understand whether or not we think life exists in our solar system. Because just from a statistical standpoint, if if we find life in our solar system, that, that changes the game for all these exoplanets we're finding. And if, yeah. if we find life on multiple bodies in one solar system, you know, the odds of it existing elsewhere are so much higher. So I, to me, I think the, the exploration of the icy moons is super fascinating right now um, and something I hope we push forwards on. In thinking along those lines of like us checking out the moon, I, I just felt like there's no chance we in some way don't drag along our own bacteria and goof it up a little bit. So we try really hard not to do that. There's a lot of contamination control that we we spend a lot of time doing our best to make sure that we don't bring bacteria, human hair, things like that to Mars or to these icy moons. It's a huge concern that if we want to find life, you know, we can't be like, oh, life looks like a... 45 year old white male from earth (laughs) (laughs) so we spend a lot of time making sure things are as clean as possible Mm -hmm. to try and minimize that chance yeah and then water forming on our planet i mean the chances of that are just so deuterium or with uh, these things and asteroids crashing into each other and then bacteria maybe being found in other places and it starts to feel a little bit like like ingredient almost like brewing beer like all the ingredients you would throw in and then just hope it took off and like okay it's happening on earth that's good it's the only one this garden sucks none of my other seeds took but if you had little bits of bacteria on a bunch of other let's say millions or billions of other planets throughout different galaxies does is that like a, a fun thought 
Yeah, I mean, it's also the thing we don't know. Like, life formed in one way on Earth, and we're still, you know, we still work on understanding how exactly that happened, but it doesn't mean life can't form in different ways. I think the more, even the more we explore Earth, we find, like, organisms living at the bottom of the ocean, near hot water vents, and things like that. Things that can survive in these extreme environs, environments we never thought possible. Mm-hmm. So there's you know it's possible there's other forms of life out there that we we wouldn't have expected to survive but who knows so i think to me it's like and you know the universe is so vast that there's so many different conditions so many different things that could possibly happen you know in my opinion you know it's a really statistically low chance that we're the only planet that has life but as as I said, like if we, especially if we can find something in our solar system, then that's really proves that point. Yeah, I, that would seem like it's in our own backyard. It's yeah, but it's hard to find. I mean, I think one of the really fascinating thought experiments that Carl Sagan I think led was on one of the Voyager missions. They basically did a flyby of the Earth, so they were able to take remote sensing data of the Earth, and they tried to figure out if, based on the data they got from the sat- the spacecraft, if they thought the Earth could harbor life. Ah. And it wasn't conclusive. It was mm-hmm. not easy just based on the measurements they could take. And, you know, clearly we're all on the Earth. There's all this green and water. But they were yeah. from space. They're like, eh, potentially. But, like, if you didn't know what chloroform was and things like that, <laughs> it'd be hard to tell. You had a whole stadium full of people all waving and looking up at right. it. We're here. We're here. <laughs> and so, you know, it's not easy. Like, unless you know exactly what you're looking for. And the science instruments we send on these missions are looking for very specific things. But if you're not capable of looking at exactly what you need you're not going to see it necessarily Mm -hmm. so it's it could be out there and we could be missing it It right here too the things that we are certain have or do not have consciousness that what we define as life and or not life and or intelligent life we i mean people that if if the way animals are and we eat them and then mm-hmm. finding out like that we, can change very soon that can change yeah. so quickly we put a little helmet on them and the, you know whatever you're eating is like you know i have a lot of questions as you go oh, oh. <laughs> i'm so sorry i ate a lot of your ancestors and that would feel terrible but it would instantly change that whole construct right. and Okay, I, I don't want to keep you all night. I'll, I'll get you out of here on this one. I know I didn't ask you this one last time. I, I think I probably asked you something similar, but I think I asked you about the concept of God, and you were like, I'm not that interested. You know, like, if there's evidence, mm-hmm. great. But say now in this scenario, you meet God, whatever mm-hmm. it, they, is, and you can ask one thing. Would you be more interested in why or how? I think I would say the Why? Really? Yeah. Like, you know, we work very hard on the how here. So, like, we have an okay understanding of things. <laughs> so, the things we don't understand are going to be in the nitty-gritty technical details. But it'd be the why. Like, were you just bored one day and decided mm-hmm. to be like, oh, Earth, here we go. Yeah. Or was this a grand plan or something? I think the why, to me, would be more fascinating. Yeah, I've, I've, I love that. I used to draw a lot of comics about that kind of concept, whether it was forced into it or hastily thrown together, like a science experiment or that seems more interesting to me and yeah i would my guess would have been as a physicist that you're like i gotta know the how but that never occurred to me like we got a lot of the how we worked on that i mean that's my job to work on the how right like the why we don't we don't touch so that'd be fascinating man that's a funny idea for just like you and god getting together and you've got a pencil behind your ear and you pull it out right here when you did this like these forces don't line up did you miss a negative sign there like what what were you thinking (laughs) 
I really hope that gets to happen. That would be for me like kind of an ideal afterlife. Yeah, yeah, you tell him. God, you, know, you we spent that up. Forty years on this. You're saying you just made a mistake. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's great. JMO, we never have. That's not true. You came by to help me with my little science show that ended up not getting picked up but that was really nice of you so we have gotten to hang out outside Mm -hmm. of the podcast we haven't gotten together to just have a beer but this is this is what we would be doing anyway i feel like having a beer and talking me grilling you about (laughs) (laughs) i really appreciate you taking the time man Uh, my pleasure uh, get some sleep i will try (laughs) see ya have a good one Love chatting with that guy. Hopefully, we'll get him back in here soon. Um, after he left, we talked a little bit about what he'd been up to, which somehow that escapes. You know, only in an hour of chatting, I felt like we were really uh, not wasting many words. And yet still, afterward, we had more to talk about. And um, some of the stuff about traveling, humans going to Mars, and the radiation problems that arise from that. So either when Jason comes back next time, or perhaps a future um, rocket science slash physicist guest, we'll, we'll figure out or learn a little bit more about that because I thought that was fascinating that um, a lot of radiation out there in space and sending humans could just um, really decrease their lifespan by the time they get there. Things I hadn't thought about. And I've read, um, I think I mentioned it in this episode, Packing for Mars by Mary Roach. Thanks to Heidi and Boise who, who gave me that book. And it was just very sweet of her. So if you haven't read it or any, I think Mary Roach has written like four or five books and everyone I talked to is like, oh, you got to read all of them. They're the best. So I'm only one in but I liked it. And hopefully we'll get Jason back as well. I don't know if he's on any of the social media or anything like that, but just a really fascinating and nice human being. The type you like to sit down and have a beer with and try that super cluster ale as well. Omega ale. It's, it's delicious. I I kept holding off on having Lagunitas on the show for whatever reason. I think early on, I was trying to reach out to them and get them to like donate some beer so that we could sample a whole bunch of it and sort of a sponsorship type thing. But I've, I've been less ambitious about doing that lately. Although when I do it, beer companies are typically pretty cool about like, yeah, we'll send you some. I just haven't been as on the ball about it. Anyway, thanks to Dan for putting the show together. Thanks to you for listening. And again, if you want to support the show through Patreon, it does help. It helps pay for beer and music and hosting. I make the guests uh, t-shirts. You can buy some screen prints at thespacecave.com as well. Might even make some tote bags. I don't know. I made myself a new little t-shirt press out of wood. And you can see some of the things that I make um, on Instagram, Dave Huntsberger. And I know I keep saying it. I will have some photos and images up on Instagram for the Space Cave soon. I got to hold myself to that. I don't know why I keep procrastinating. Um, but you can see the, all the images and photos of guests and the beer at thespacecave.com. But I figure you're scrolling through Instagram. You're not going to individual websites as much. But if you are, that's where you can see that stuff. Okay, let's get out of here. This is a song by Aldous Harding. It's called The Barrel. She's from New Zealand down there near Dan. I hope you like it. I'll be talking to you soon. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave. Oh
Love 